All right, good morning, church. Did you bring your Bible? Yeah. All right, a few people are excited about that. Did you bring your Bible? Yeah. We're going to be in Deuteronomy 6, actually, for the next two weeks. I promise we're not going backwards to the sermon series we just got out from Deuteronomy. But this is a famous passage on God's plan for the family. Before we do that, I'd love to pray. It's an honor to pray for other pastors, other churches, sometimes Baptist churches, sometimes not Baptist churches, when I'm standing to preach. This week, uh, I will just covet the prayers of my new church family for our old church family. Uh, they have been in a pastor search process for the last few months now. Uh, they have an interim pastor. His name is Chris Lethgo. Uh, but they have started receiving um, resumes and applications for the month. And so just pray for wisdom as they see God's face there. Pray for God's provision Pray that God would uh, lead them to the right shepherd, the right lead pastor, and then the people would be patient and they would trust in the Lord and they wouldn't get antsy and they wouldn't get uh, frustrated or uh, weary or let down. So all these things I think you guys can relate to because y'all were in a similar vulnerable position uh, this time last year. Let's pray for First Baptist Church of Roswell, New Mexico. Let's pray for Chris Lethgo as he stands to preach this morning. And then we will open up to Deuteronomy 6. Yeah? yeah? All right. This is kind of a call and answer. You can respond. If you wanted to, you could raise your hand and ask a question in the middle of the sermon. Okay? We can talk to each other. This is not me lecturing you. This is us opening God's word together and learning it. So if I say something like, yeah, you're going to say, yeah, or amen, or yeah. Come on. Let's do that. Let's pray for FBC Roswell. Yeah? yeah? Oh, let's do it. Let's pray, and then we'll be in Deuteronomy 6. Lord, I thank you um, even for a smile. Uh, there's joy in your presence. We praise you for that. We have sung of your faithfulness, uh, your goodness, that you keep your promises. Uh, we relish in this good news of the gospel that even though we were dead in sin, we can be alive in Christ. We saw that in baptism. There are so many things to celebrate this morning as we lift up your name. I just ask that you would help us to do that. And we pray for First Baptist Roswell, New Mexico, we pray for Pastor Chris as he opens the word this morning to the book of Numbers. Uh, God would, the, the church there, continue to, to walk by faith, trusting you every step of the way, even in transition and even in a vulnerable spot. Would they know, Lord, that you are sovereign, that you are not surprised? Uh, would they be hopeful? And would they continue to be kingdom people on mission, bearing fruit, even in a time of weakness or a time of transition. I thank you for Pastor Jacob and Pastor Nathan that are there and steadfast and, and, and carrying uh, the, the baton forward. Lord, I just pray that you would bless their leadership as well. Uh, but that church, uh, would they find their hope in you in the days ahead and for the, every individual in the pastor search community, give them your wisdom, God. For us now, as we open to Deuteronomy 6, we want to be hearers and doers of your word. And we need your help. I need your help to be a faithful messenger, but we need your help not to just hear these things and walk out unchanged, but to hear them and let them sink deep into our soul. Let them take root and spring up to bear fruit and say, how would you, Lord, change us according to your word by the things that you teach us this morning? So we ask for your help. We're dependent. We are in need of you to move. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Deuteronomy 6. And uh, we're going to be speaking about Christ-centered homes again. I don't know uh, if you are on the side of the argument that says, gosh, that new preacher sure preaches long, man. Like he's like consistently 38, 42, 46 minutes. Come on, preach. You better wrap it up. I got to get to things I have today. Yes? Are you on that side? Or you're on the side of like, give me more. I want more. Like, this is good. Nourish. This is good nourishment. Teach me how to feed myself as I read the word during the week. You might be in attention here. I'm just going to give you good news. If you're part of the first crowd, had I preached this whole sermon in Deuteronomy 5, it would have been about 50, 55 minutes. So in God's wisdom, I've broken in it to two sermons in Deuteronomy 6. So if you're in the second camp or the second boat, it's just good news for you, all right? We're not going 50 minutes in the sermon today. We've got some baptisms to celebrate even still in this service. But this is what I'm asking you. I'm asking that you come back next week because this is really just part one of a two-part sermon in Deuteronomy 6, verse 1 through 9. Okay? Can you do that? All right, let me try that again. Okay, can we do that? Okay, quick, quick review. Last week we looked at Psalm 78 and we see this idea of one generation passing down a legacy of faith to the next generation. If you've ever held a metal chain in your hand, you know that it's strong because each individual link is strong. If one of those links is uh, cracked or starts to separate, then the chain is not strong. If we have a broken link in God's plan, from one generation to pass down faith to the next generation, that is no bueno, as they say in Espanol. That's not a good situation. But if we are faithful to God's plan, we pass down faith to the next generation, to the next generation. Psalm 78 says that God, when he blesses that, that the the children yet unborn will rise up and tell their children about the mighty deeds of God. Amen? And that's the goal, and that's what we're looking at here at this idea, even in Deuteronomy 6. And I gave a disclaimer last week. I'll give it this week as well. 2 Timothy 3 says, God's, all of Scripture is God-breathed, all of it. That means if you walked into this place and you don't have young kids or you don't have kids at all or you're not married and you're like, gosh, here comes this preacher talking about family again. Let me just tune out. Please don't do that. If you're a young person, you may have kids in the next decade. If you're an older person whose kids are out of the house, let me just remind you, sometimes parenting is not over, (laughs) all right? You still have opportunity to pray for your adult children, to listen and give counsel, to uh, lead them into the things of the word. That's your opportunity. If you're a grandparent, what about your grandchildren? If you're an older sibling, what about your younger siblings? If you're an auntie or an uncle, what about pouring into your nieces and nephew? Get a vision for family here. Avoid the temptation to tune out. So let me just remind you where we are in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, uh, this second book of the law, that's what some scholars say, Deutero, right? Second, Second law given. Moses has been told he's not going into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And so you can just imagine Uh, Moses standing on the banks of the Jordan River, 40 years of wandering, okay? Manna, the, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. They've seen God's provision. They've seen God's goodness. They were rescued out of Egypt. And here it is, the land flowing with milk and honey. And Moses doesn't get to go. 
And so in his famous last words, as one might put it, he tells Israel, don't stray from the Lord. Don't drift away from God. And he tells them, reminding them of the Ten Commandments, and he sums up the law in this way right here in the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. Just love God. It's that simple. Put him first. Love him with all your heart, all your soul, all of your might. And as he's pleading with them to love God, Moses also offers a plan and a process for doing family God's way. Let's see if you can hear it in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to read starting in verse 1 for the context. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. I, I, I hate breaking here. I just I want to draw your attention. Did you see that legacy of faith? Teach God's ways, obey God's ways. You, your son, and your son's son. You see the legacy of faith there? Just in the language that Moses uses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You, your son, and your son's son. Continuing in verse 2. By keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you. And that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the Shema, verse 4. Hear. That's the Hebrew word for hear and listen. Hear and obey. Or obey. Hear. Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, last week I asked the congregation, how many of you are familiar with that term, Shema? If you grew up in a Jewish home, you should be very familiar with it. And very few hands went up. And so I told you, I'm going to show you a video. This is a video, you can find them on YouTube, The Bible Project. Very helpful videos all, all over the internet. Just Google The Bible Project. Any book of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, themes like this. It's three minutes on the Shema. And after you watch it, and after you hear a sermon like this, if someone asks you, what's the Shema? You should be able to have a really good answer, all right? Check it out right here. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now, Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see 
The Lord has made them both. Now, that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because she says, the Lord has Shamad, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27 verse 7, Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful, answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, If you shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now, there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you shema shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action, and that's the Hebrew word Shema. Okay, so now you got it, right? You know about Shema, the Hebrew word Shema, hear and obey. Hear and listen. Well, in this passage we are told, hear and listen. Here is the most important thing you can do, Israel. And if we are adopted into the family of God, we're all children of Abraham. And so we then are told the most important thing we can do is to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our might. How does that apply to the family? Well, I want to show you just two things this morning. See the plan and practice the process. See the plan and practice the process. Let's start with this first idea. See the plan. Look at verse 1 through 3, and I already drew your attention to that. One generation passing down faith to the next generation. Obey these commands, teach these commands. You and your son and your son's son. There is a legacy of faith being passed down, right? I said no broken links in the chain from one generation to the next. And hear this, God's mission to the ends of the earth, even what Jesus told us in Matthew 28, right? That we should make disciples, uh, baptize all nations, teach them to obey to the ends of the earth. It always starts with your family. Starts with your family, God's mission carries to the ends of the earth. Listen to what one scholar who writes on family says. The purpose of parenting and grandparenting is to impress the hearts of our children with the love of God. 
Loving and knowing God is the purpose of life, and you are to lead them in it. This illustration may hit home for some people. I've been very honest and vulnerable about uh, genetic disease in my own family. I don't say this lightly. I say this because I know from firsthand experience the pain uh, of passing down or the potential of passing down a genetic illness. But just roll with me here. Imagine if you knew that there was a, a terminal illness in your DNA be it a brain disease, be it a a heart disease, be it a genetic component for cancer, and you knew you carried this. And you knew that if you had kids, you have the chance to pass that on to your kids. Now, some people know exactly what I'm talking about. My sister, for one, who made the commitment never to have kids so that she wouldn't pass on her brain disease. Some people know exactly what I'm talking about here. My wife whose breast cancer has a genetic component. Now that has a huge implication for our daughters. I'm not trying to make pain or cause suffering here. I'm just asking you to imagine that moment where you know in your mind and in your heart, I would do anything. I would do anything to make sure that I don't pass that on. I would do anything to make sure that the medical research is pumped into and they find some treatment and there's some kind of cure. I would do anything to teach my kids, our daughters, here's how you prepare for this. Here's when you need to start going to get genetic testing. Here's when you need to do early mammograms. I will do anything to make sure that that is not passed down. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you see that kind of passion? Like I do not want my kid or the next generation to have to suffer or, or be caused suffering the way that I felt it. You know what I'm saying? Can you imagine that moment? Maybe you don't know it personally, but you can imagine it. Are you with me? Nod your head if you're with me. Now let's take that to how we understand this best news, that salvation is in no other name but the name of Jesus. Now we're not talking about suffering. Now we're not talking about causing pain. Now we're talking about this beautiful, hopeful, good news that they might turn from sin and trust in Jesus and spend eternity with the God who made them. And we should have the same passion, church. We will do anything we can to pour that into the next generation because we have the best news ever. And we want to make sure that they come to Jesus through repentance and faith. Amen? Gosh, if we would be so passionate about not causing pain and suffering, why aren't we just as passionate? about the eternal state of their soul. Gosh, this is God's plan. This is God's plan, that it goes from the parent to the child and that child to the next child and four generations deep that children might rise yet unborn and tell it to their children. There is salvation in Christ. John 14, 6, he is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through him. We have to be telling the next generation these things, amen? Amen. This is God's plan that the parents would be the primary spiritual leaders over their children. That doesn't mean the church doesn't have a role. I think the church does have a role. I think it is beautiful that Melinda has recruited and trained these volunteers to teach kids Sunday school. Did you know that even littles, like crawlers, are getting prayed over and scripture read over them and taught things about who Jesus is? It's not just daycare over there, right? All the way up to fifth grade and Sean's organized for sixth through twelfth grade for for people to pour into the students of this church. And that faith formation and spiritual mentorship is incredibly important. I'm not saying the church doesn't have a role. 
But here's where, where, where we should see the perspective. That the church is coming alongside the parents to partner with them and say, how can we help what you're already doing at home? You should already be sitting in your home and walking by the way. And when you lie down, when you rise, teach your kids how to love God with everything they are. That is God's plan. We don't just drop off our kids at church and hope that their spiritual development turns out okay. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Mom and dad or spiritual moms and dads or grandma or grandpa or spiritual grandma or grandpa need to be doing things during the week. And then what the church does to come alongside of that should be supplemental. That's God's plan. When the parents take in the proper role as a spiritual leader in the home, the church can come alongside and do what's already happening in the home. Then the church is partnering. You saw this beautiful picture of baptism when mom and dad were in the water. I would love to, for that to be normal in the days ahead of, that, of our church. Mom and dad are in the water. Why? Because mom and dad are praying over their kids. Mom and dad are opening the Bible with their kids. Mom and dad are saying, how did you learn about the Lord at school? What happened with your friends that made you think of something we've taught you from the Bible? Oh, you're walking through that hard situation? What do you think the scripture has to say about this? Mom and dad are saying, how do we sing to the Lord? Mom and dad are saying, how are you obeying him right now? Mom and dad are saying, who are you talking to about Jesus on your sports team? Mom and dad are already doing that stuff, and so we want to put them in the water as this symbolic picture that mom and dad are spiritual leader in the home. Not Pastor Aaron, not Pastor Sean, not Miss Melinda. No, mom and dad are. That's God's plan, as we saw in Psalm 78. God established this testimony in Jacob, and he commanded Israel to teach it to their children. You've heard churches talk a lot about small groups. I think our church has and our church will. Small groups are so important, right? Man, you need to be a part of a small group. If you're not a part of a small group, there's a whole board back there in the hallway, all the ways you can get plugged into one on a Sunday morning or during the week. Small groups are where it's at, life on life, relationship. We can bear one another's burdens better through a small group. We can pray for each other better. We can walk through life better. We can hold each other accountable. We can sharpen one another. We can spur one another on better through small groups, right? You've probably heard all this. It's about fellowship. It's about connection, honesty, confession of sin, encouragement, prayer, support. Did you know God's plan for small groups is more true in your family unit inside your home? <laughs> if you have kids in the home, all that same stuff should be happening. Fellowship, honesty, confession of sin. Forgiveness, grace, prayer support, spurring one another on, encouragement, striving together. Hey, you don't do this alone. We do this together. Let me put my arm around you and let's pursue the Lord together. That's God's original small group. And right here in Deuteronomy 6, we see God's heart, his plan for the family. It's not the only place we see it. Psalm 78 I told you about. Psalm 127, we're going to read at the end of this service. The book of Proverbs, you know that is a dad and mom saying to their son, son, don't walk in foolishness, walk in the way of wisdom. And let me tell you, the way of wisdom is only found in the God who made it all. Yeah. Ephesians 6, we get instruction for the home, instruction for the family. If you are intimidated to spend spiritual conversation with your 9-year-old, 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old. Did you know it's as easy as just reading through the Proverbs? 
just read through one chapter a week. For us, what we did is when our kids are going into middle school, I want to read the Proverbs with them that summer. I want to read uh, 31 chapters over about 10-ish weeks, okay? It's easy. Now, I have to be disciplined. It takes commitment. It takes sacrifice. It takes planning and some intentionality. But we see it right there in the scriptures, and there's all kinds of other things we can be doing. I talked about these last week. If you heard me talk about them and you want one, come grab this one from me at the end of the service. Pray a blessing over your kid once a week. 52 weeks a year, over 10 years, that's 520 times that you read scripture over your kid in your home. Easy. And next week we're going to talk about a lot more things when we practice the process. I just want you to see the plan. And I want you to ask yourself right now, Lord, do I believe this? Do I believe that this is your plan? And if you don't, talk to a friend at church, talk to me, talk to anyone else, talk to someone on our ministry team, and we'll do our best to show you in the scripture how that is the plan. Now, it's one thing to say you believe it. Let me ask you a harder question. Lord, what am I doing about it? If I believe this is true, what, what am I doing about it? And I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty. I think we need to push each other towards grace. But if you're not doing anything about this thing that you believe, my argument to you is you might not really believe it. But if you do believe it and you want some kind of intentional practice, something you can do that you might be seeing God's plan to pour a foundation of faith from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, then you're really going to perk up your ears to this part. Practice the process. Practice the process. The process, verse 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them as you sit in your home, walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Practice the process. And we're going to get very, very, very practical next week. First, I want to show you some big pictures of this process. Before we spend time breaking it down, I want you to see the motivation for teaching your kids diligently. The grounds, the thing that has to be foundational before we can teach our kids diligently, we have to see a couple things. Here's the first, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's foundational. The Lord is one. It's almost as if to say, because God is the only God, we should love him most. Because God is the only God, we should put him above all things. Because God who made everything is sovereign and seated on a throne, that's why we should love him and teach our kids about him. Because God is God and we are not. God is most holy, most worthy. And the phrase here, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is reminding us. It is this banner proclaiming over Israel in Deuteronomy 6 and over us here this morning that God deserves our wholehearted devotion. Everything we have, all of our affection. Why? Because he's God. He is God. We looked at a passage in Deuteronomy 4. I just want to remind us how great it is that God spoke. Look, Deuteronomy 4, verse 32 through 39. Ask now of the days that are past, 
which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth and asked from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and to take a nation for himself from amidst another nation by trials, signs, wonders, and by war and a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and great deeds of terror all shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There's no other beside him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence and by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in and to give you their land for an inheritance as it is today. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven. Above and on the earth beneath, there is no other. God is God, and he deserves our wholehearted devotion. He alone is the God that reached out from heaven and rescued us, picked us out of a miry pit of sin, and put us on a firm foundation in Jesus Christ. God deserves it all. This is the same thing that we need to be teaching our children. Yes, of course, love them with all your heart, mind, and soul, but teach them why, because God is God. He is awesome, he is holy, he is worthy. That's the, the practice. We must start with the grounds by which he is the one deserving our lives, deserving our hearts, deserving everything we have. Why? Because he's awesome. And if we can teach that to our children, if we can show that to our children and grandchildren, then we can continue in this process. Then we see two steps in the practice, all right? We see two steps in the process. Step one, parents, we have to love them first. Step two, we get to teach diligently. This is where the rubber meets the road for us. Step one. Love God with wholehearted devotion. You see it in verse 5. Before Moses tells Israel to teach diligently the next generation, he reminds them, first, your heart has to be in the right place. First, you have to love God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your soul. First, you have to make sure that you're putting all your affection and all your attention on him. This challenges me. Because I'm passionate about teaching the next generation. I'm passionate about teaching my kids. But it reminds me that I will never be intentional in the process that God gave me unless I first completely surrender to him. All my love, all my devotion, all my priority. And if I'm honest with you, I get distracted, church. And so I'm in this constant refining process and sanctification where I turn from sin and put on Christ. I put sin to death and I put on Christ. I turn away from distraction and I fix my eyes on Jesus. But if I can do that right, then I can be the example I want to be to my kids. And it almost seems redundant here in the passage to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our might. But just consider that for a moment. What does it look like to love 
God, purely, wholly, lacking nothing. A full devotion to the one that deserves all of our love and expects all of our love. Heart. All of our heart. Our intellect, our will, our intention. All of our heart. Soul, the inner man. The Psalms talk about this uh, from my bowels, like deep inside of who I am, my soul, the inner man, all my emotions, all my desires. God, they're all yours. I want to put you first in all of them and all of our might. This is all of our strength and the strongest devotion possible. Lord, you take it all. And I want to run and never stop running. I don't want to put my eyes behind me. I want to stick my hand to the plow and not look back with all my strength. Lord, you take all of me. Is that how you're loving God today? Is that how you're loving God today? Because if you are convicted about passing this on to the next generation, it has to start with that. If you want to see an example of this, look to the Old Testament. In 2 Kings, Josiah, look at what he did. Josiah, 2 Kings uh, Chapter 23, before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his might, according to the law of Moses. Nor did any like him ever arise after him. If you remember uh, the kings, it's this constant process of good king, bad king. Good king, bad king, bad king, bad king, good king. Right? It's this contrast. So that when you have a king that loves God with all their heart, it is, it is something that's celebrated in the history of Israel. This is what Josiah did. He ruled God's kingdom with integrity, not selfish gain. He shows humility and repentance before the law. It's read publicly and he surrendered to it. He sits under God's authority. He destroys all the idols in the land, even the temple of false gods. He reinstates the Passover. This is a huge symbol of God's redemption. There was a sacrificial lamb. The Messiah that was to come is pointed forward to in this Passover. And Josiah reinstates it. And 2 Kings chapter 23 says, this is what it looks like to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. God, I want to put you first. I want to put to death all the things that distract me from you. God, I want to teach my kids how to love you. But I know that it has to start with me. Parents grandparents, those that want to pour into the next generation. Before, before we continue in this process, which we'll talk a lot about next week, please don't look past the fact that it starts with you. It starts with you. And one of the ways you can respond today is if there's any devotion lacking in your love for God, come to these steps and say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I trust that you can help me. If you're not loving him with all your heart, soul, and might, come, come and just lay yourself bare or ask a spouse or a family member, a friend from church to pray over you and say, God, I need your help. It will be impossible for me to be intentional with my kids or the next generation if I don't first give you my whole heart. And I'm aware that for some of you that might mean coming to Jesus for the first time. Because if you are not Saved by the blood of Christ. If you've not been reborn, your old man is dead and the new man's inside of you and you're living a new life for Christ because he's bought, purchased, and paid for you and gave you the Holy Spirit, you won't be able to do this. So maybe 
seeing Jesus as Savior, seeing Jesus as King, responding with repentance and faith needs to be your step. But I would gather there's probably over 100 people in this room that need to come and say, God, I need you. So would you be bold enough and would you be courageous enough at the end of this time, when we sing this next song, to come and get on your knees and say, Lord, help me. It's, it's fine. Lord, help me. I want to close with this idea from um, Psalm 127. I told you that we would use it. Psalm 127, it says this, children are a blessing from the Lord or a heritage of the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children in one's youth. Now listen to this. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Children are a blessing. I'm right here with you, parents, but sometimes it feels like they're more of a burden than a blessing. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Children are a blessing. They're not a burden. They're a blessing. And many older people have told me, Aaron, don't waste the time because it goes like this. And then they're gone and you've lost your chance to love them that one more time or tuck them in that one more time or read that blessing over them that one more time or pray that one more time or go and do something fun that one more time. It goes like this. They're a blessing, not a burden. So many parents next week as we welcome children in, as we do kindergarten and first grade Bibles and we say, okay, children, now you stay the whole time in the worship gathering. Parents are going to be like, oh man, it doesn't feel like a blessing. It feels like a burden. If you're right there, make sure you come to lunch after the next service. All right, my wife and I are going to give you some tools. It's going to take time to shift the culture. It's going to take time, probably six months to a year for you to focus on them and church isn't about you at that point. Church isn't about your walk with the Lord at that point. You need to feed yourself at home. You need to rewatch the service. You need to be in the Word. You need to pray. And when you come to church with your kid, you say, okay, I want to teach you how to do this. They're a blessing, though. They're not a burden. Psalm 127 says children are a blessing. And I want you to see it this way. I heard a story of a man that volunteers at the pregnancy center here, True Choice Women's Pregnancy Center. He visited our church last week. I heard this story. Oftentimes we think of the mom, but in his case, he wants to meet uh, the, the dad, right? It takes two to tango. Let's not do the birds and bees, but it does take two to tango. And when the dad comes in, he has the opportunity to sit down with the dad. And I'm not going to embarrass this young man. I'm not going to tell you his name. Uh, but this gentleman, Tuck, is sitting down with the young man. Now, some of y'all know Tuck. There's a gym named after him right across the road there. He was a principal in our schools for a long time. Tuck is sitting down and he's just pouring over the scripture. He's pouring over the gospel. And he's, he's trying to let this young man see that there's hope in Christ, that there's eternity waiting in Christ, that there's new life in Christ. And by miracle of God, this young man says, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Isn't that good? Amen. Now, here's the next miracle. Now this young man says, I, I don't think we can give up this baby. I don't know how we're going to do it. We're not married. We don't have the funds. We don't have the training. But we're not, we're not going to abort this baby. We're, we're, we're going to do everything we can to learn and grow and take this baby uh, to term and grow this baby best we can. Now, here's the beautiful thing. Children are a blessing. This young 
child growing in the womb of its mom not only has a chance for life, praise God for that, but now that the dad is a Christian, now this young baby has a chance for eternal life because God's plan here in Deuteronomy 6 is by God's grace and some miracle, uh, God to open his eyes and open his ears to hear, I need a savior and his name is Jesus and he died on the cross and paid for sin. Now Tuck is gonna mentor and disciple this young man and God willing, this young man is gonna catch a vision for his family and that young man is not gonna keep salvation to himself as he's raising this little baby. He's gonna pour that into this little baby and by a miracle, that baby would give their life to Jesus and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. It goes from a baby that wouldn't even have a chance to live to now a baby that has a chance to be a link in the chain of passing down faith from one generation to the next. Isn't that good, church? So we need to pray for that young man. But we also need to pray for the families in this church. So as we come to a close, if you're one of those people that says, I could, I could love God with a little more devotion, come to these steps. If you know someone you want to pray for, a young family, an adult child of yours, a grandchild of yours, come to these steps. Pray in, in total surrender saying, God, we are asking you to do big things. Because every time the word is opened, every time there is a response to be had. We don't just walk away unchanged. We should walk away different. Ask the Lord, how do you want us to respond to a passage like this, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, Christ-centered homes, and your plan for our families. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you lead us. You don't, you don't leave us to try to guess and figure this thing out on our own, but you teach us and you show us. And so even now, for the rest of the service, we don't want to run out of here, God. We want to say, have your way with us. Do business now in this moment. Change us for families that need to put a, a stake in the ground and say, from this day forward, we're going to be different. Right here, August 13th, 2023, we are asking you, Lord, to change our minds, change our hearts, and, and strengthen us that we would fulfill your plan in our home. Lord, be our help. For others in this church, it can be spiritual grandparents. Give them a, a direct sense of calling. Who should they reach out to this week? Who should they take to lunch or, or bring dinner over to their home or invite into their home? Show us, Lord. We want to be people that honor you with our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name.